Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Getting It Out podcast. That was the Masked Mutants from Creepsylvania Ghoul. The song was Shred the Dead. That's off of their 2016 record, Dungeon Bastards. 
You might be familiar with these guys. They've been around for two decades. That ought to do it, huh? If you like heavy metal, thrash, or horror films, they're likely firmly established on your radio thanks to Tank Crimes Records, who's been releasing their records for quite a while. And hey, wouldn't you know, Tank Crimes Records, that's the focus of the October record label spotlight on Getting It Out podcast. And that's where you're at right now. And you might be looking at the calendar going, hey, man, it's not October. It is, in fact, the first week of November. You'd be right about that. We specifically held this episode a couple of days to coincide with a big Tank Crimes record announcement, which if you haven't seen it yet, you'll hear about it here. But first, let's go to New Jersey and get hit with the greatest crossover thrash band that ever existed at this moment right now, Hot Zone. Chicken! Here we are, early November. Yes, one day after Election Day. Have you been swayed by the little rectangles on wire sticks? Have you? Has it worked for anybody ever? Have you ever driven past a vacant lot and seen seven signs for politicians who you're not familiar with and thought, well, now I'm voting for that guy or gal? Never worked for me, but I always wonder about it now. It kind of makes me mad when I see it. Makes me mad. Why would it make me mad? I don't know why it makes me mad. It probably doesn't make me mad. It just irritates me slightly. And that's enough to make me mad. All right. You see how that works? I see those little signs all over the place. A lot of mail, too. Hey, as somebody who works in the print industry, I know how much it costs to send this shit in the mail. I've never once been swayed by a piece of mail that has some shit talk on it. It's not the way to get me on your side to shit talk with mail. That's kind of a pussy's way of shit talking, right? Say it to my face, bitch. Make Earn that vote, all right? It's not going to work with your stupid little signs and your shitty direct mail campaigns. I don't even know what they mean half the time. I read the signs, the election signs. I don't know who these people are. They could be putting fake words up there. I was driving through Philadelphia the other day, and I'm pretty sure the signs for mayor that they have, the certain people who are running for mayor, they're not real names. But uh, I don't know. I don't know any better. But I'm not going to vote for either of them anyway. Well, not not just because I don't live in Philadelphia, but because it's just a sign, man. What are you doing? How am I supposed to know what these local elections are up to? I voted. Don't worry. I voted. I voted by mail again, man. Voting by mail is the best. You got time when you vote by mail. When I when I vote in person, I'm just lying. I'm just picking stuff. Right. I'm just picking stuff that might work out for me. This time I spread it out a little all over the place. I got a little annoyed at uh, at at the way um, the ballot instructions were sent to me this time around. And I should say that this came from like the the Democrats suggestions because that's what I'm registered as a Democrat. So I got like the Democrats suggestions of who they think I should vote for. And in some cases, there was no opposition. It was just like a Republicans running for sheriff. And their suggestion was that I don't vote for them. And that is fucking petty and stupid. While sometimes I like that. Fuck you. Get it. Get a candidate in there. If you want to win that one, I'm giving this guy the votes. Uh, in other cases, it'd be like uh, you just got to pick one 
out of these three options or whatever, pick two, but we only have one Democrat choice. Like, no, man, I want to figure out what that other one is, what the other better option of that Republican is and pick that person too. Why are we like, oh, they're not on our team. So we're not voting for them at all. Get out of here, bitch. It's unrealistic. And if there's some uh, independence, I'm ready to vote for independence. What do they stand for? It doesn't really matter. Don't, I don't care. Um, this is what my ballot looks like. It's all over the place. It's Democrat, Republican, independent, and uh, it's public knowledge now. People like to protect that. I know some people just like to go in and uh, hit all the D's or all the R's and uh, it doesn't work. Nothing works. I don't know. I, why do we even do it? Man, I hate it. I hate it. It doesn't feel right every time. I don't even know who won these things that happened just yesterday. I tried to look it up late last night. Apparently, it's not like national shit where you can get answers immediately. I should know this by now. Um, anyway, but that was it. That was election day. I hope you enjoyed your election day too. Kids had off school. Some of them, not all of them. That's not the reason this podcast was delayed. It wasn't an election day delay. The real news was that tank crimes alongside municipal waste, ghoul, necrot, and dead heat have announced the brain squeeze 2024 tour. And we're going to talk all about that at the end of my conversation with Tank Crimes, Scotty Heath. Scotty was a very pleasant conversation. We talked for almost hours, almost multiple hours. I whittled it down to a, to a more digestible time for us here for listening on the podcast. Though it is a bit longer than usual, I think you will be uh, enthralled by the tale of the beginnings and the current happenings of Tank Crimes records, as one Scotty Heath tells you. Uh, it all starts with Ska, as most things do, at least our conversation did. And we'll get to that here shortly. But I want to play you a track from a band on Tank Crimes records. It's Necrot. This is the first track from their latest full-length record, Mortal. It's Your Hell, and then my conversation with Scotty.
I knew you were in California. And when I was thinking about you being in California, I thought about what's the first thing that I think of when I think of California. And the first thing that I always think of when I think of California is Bucko Nines, my town. My street. Give, <laughs> right. give me peace of mind that can't be beat. Classic, right? Ah, fuck. I know <laughs> yeah. that fucking song, dude. I don't know if you know what a ska fan I am. <laughs> well, San Diego's a far San Diego's the farthest city from where I'm at. But that was a that was a good icebreaker with me to just drop a ska song. And I'm not <laughs> sure that you know that I would not just know the song, but know the horn riff from it. So <laughs> that's uh, it's cla- it's a classic. This is off to it's a great start. A California classic is was what I would consider. That's yeah. you know, in like '97 or whatever, when 28 Teeth came out, I wrote them a letter and sent it off to their to the oh, whatever yeah. whatever was on their you know, CD. And they wrote me back and sent an eight by 10, a signed eight by 10 from Bucko nine and oh, <laughs> 1987. Nice, nice. It's just really, been really funny um, to me to have do that. You know somewhere where the, around here. Do people on the East coast know the, where the name came from? No. So a Bucko nine is how much it cost in California in the nineties for a, for a, uh, for a quart of beer. Quart of beer. Wow. Yeah. A quart was a Bucko nine. And, uh, I've never had that confirmed, but I bought enough quarts in the nineties for a buck Oh nine <laughs> that it fucking has to be. Right. That's, that's, that's good enough research for me. I know there's a little speculation out there where the name comes from. So I'll take it. I'll take your word for it. All right. Well, so you're out in California, you're listening to buck Oh nine, at least in the early nineties or mid nineties, but how do you get involved in the rest of this? Bro, I listened to buck Oh nine last week. <laughs> that's fair that's fair (laughs) ska actually bridged the gap helped bridge the gap for me right because my the first um the first type of music uh i really dug deep on and when i realized that i was more into music than my friends or kids in my neighborhood is uh i went deep on hip-hop when i was about 10 years old um, there was, I grew up in, uh, in a suburb outside of Detroit and, uh, one of the first radio stations, uh, WJLB in Detroit had like a all rap two hour block, like every Saturday night. And I would stay up and, and tape it. So that was my first big deep dive. And I stayed kind of a hip hop exclusive guy until high school. And uh, I should mention my dad played in bands in the 60s. Mm. So I definitely grew up around rock music in the house from Montrose to Bob Seger, um, Edgar Winters, one of my dad's faves. That was kind of that was his jam. And so I grew up with a lot of that rock. So I don't know. I, I don't know if I went to hip hop because guitar music was like my dad's thing or whatever. But right. hip hop was so new and it was so cool and it was um, threatening. Like I had to hide the tapes from my mom and stuff like that. Once I started shoplifting easy E from the mall, um, (laughs) I knew she couldn't see it too. So that was really, um, I was a bad kid. So that really got me in. And then, um, I got kicked out of my mom's house in eighth grade and I had to move out to live with my dad. And it was a more rural suburban community as opposed to like kind of closer to Detroit. And, hip hop had not even made it there yet. It just like, wasn't even there. Like no one. And so I'm only 13 years old. So I kind of just adapted. Um, and I don't know the date now, but I think it was 1991, uh, or two, 
but um, Tribe Called Quest, The Low End Theory, which is their second album, it came out on the same day as Nirvana, Nevermind. Mm. The exact same day. Yeah. And I shoplifted them both from Tape World <laughs> at the 12 Oaks Mall. And that was kind of like my, fr- I mean, that was my, then, uh, you know, I went, I graduated high school in 95. So I was fully teenage through all of grunge, though right. I never thought I was a big grunge fan. But uh, Nirvana definitely got me, took me down that path to guitar music. So now I'm listening to guitar music again. And then I start smoking pot. And then in the 90s, there was that huge, um, like, rebirth of hippie shit. Like, I got to see The Grateful Dead with Jerry Garcia while I was in high school. There was just a full-on hippie rebirth. Like, Fish had just taken off. Fish had just gotten to the point where they were taking doing stadiums. Grateful Dead were just, um, we're still doing stadiums. And I actually saw a documentary where the Grateful Dead is like, oh yeah, man, when all the like new teenagers in the early nineties got back into Grateful Dead, uh, the shows started sucking for a few years (laughs) and, uh, just like the wrong fans, you know, and I, I never thought of it until right now when I'm saying it and I know like it's, it's happening to bands right now with like, or mostly hip hop acts, I think. But, uh, if you have like a hot TikTok clip, have you heard about like kids showing up to like kids like sh- blown up shows and only knowing the 30 second hook from the one no, song? But, I, and, but that makes sense. I, now you and, say like, it, yeah. spending the rest of the show just like doing selfies and stupid shit. And, <laughs> and uh, so that kind of happened to the Grateful Dead. All of a sudden, a bunch mm-hmm. of teenagers, you know, were coming down to their shows and, you know, we would buy enough drugs that we could come home and be drug dealers back in town for, you know, until it all ran out. <laughs> Now I'm getting into drugs and uh, I've kind of am like a hippie, kind of like a 90s hippie now. OK. And uh, my dad owned a bar. I was working at my dad's bar doing dishes at 12 because mm. I had stolen my mom's car. I was smoking cigarettes. There's like a whole laundry list of reasons why I couldn't stay at my mom's house anymore. And uh, my dad needed to kind of like tighten up my free time. So Now I'm working at my dad's bar. This is one of the best like groundings I could have ever gotten because my dad's bar, I'm the youngest there, but it's just all these older kids. Like everyone, this entire little kitchen is because it was a bar and grill. So there's, there's a menu. We're doing burgers and shit like that. Pastas. And, um, now I'm meeting like these older kids so now we're, and we'd always jam music. There was a boom box in the kitchen. So I'm in there washing dishes. And now we're listening to the Ramones all the time. We're listening to Minor Threat all the time. Like, uh, smoking cigs out back too. Like it was like this free, it was like, I was in trouble, but it was like, actually gave me all this freedom. Right. So, uh, so that's when I start getting into punk. I'm, I'm now I'm a hippie. I'd like some grungy stuff, you know, some stuff I didn't realize was metal at the time, mm-hmm. like Allison chains or something, you know, like I didn't right. took me years to know like, Oh, they're a proper metal band. Like they're, they just got labeled grunge because of their timing or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so now I'm into punk and, uh, the point of this uh, and it it will bring us to ska and then to me starting <laughs> sure. a punk label is that now my friends from high school that I was like going to Grateful Dead shows with, um, 
none of them had to have jobs. And all a lot of the kids I worked with at my dad's bar uh, had dropped out of school. I'm from a small town. There was only one high school, but there was like an, a lot of my friends from work went to the alternative high school, like where they could mm-hmm. smoke and like cuss at their teachers and stuff. Right, yeah. um, so I kind of ended up having two social circles. My friends at school and then my friends at my dad's bar. Friends from and the bar. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was like, which is funny. You know, I'm like 13, 14 and I, I worked there all through through high school until I moved to California. Mm-hmm. And um, so I've got these two groups of friends. My friends in high school um, were like more, we're chasing girls. We're trying to get old people to buy us beer. We're going to maybe a hippie or rock concert in the summer on the weekend. My friends at my dad's bar, listen to hip hop, listen to punk, listen to hardcore everybody's skateboards, you know, these are all nineties things, but I was, Mm -hmm. and they're all adjacent to each other, but I was kind of, it really just felt like I had two sets of friends and there Mm -hmm. wasn't a lot of crossover. Um, there still isn't, you know, in, in, in some of the people that I still keep in touch with all these years later, um, it still feels like there's, you know, my school friends and my bar friends. You're the first person to ever say bar friends. I've never said that. Now that's hilarious (laughs) to me. My bar friends in high school. But that was the thing. And so there was also this big divide. Punks fucking hated hippies. And as much as like now Green Day's out and stuff like that, I mean, that was fucking huge at my high school. Beastie Boys had come back as as a alternative band, you know, but Mm -hmm. they were playing mixing hardcore songs in with some more of their aggressive rhymes, like check your head, you know, was kind of a special album for that. But there was this divide, like my friends that were into punk were like, Oh, that fucking hippie shit sucks, dude. Like you listen to the worst music, Scotty, like I'll fucking rather have a dead fucking rat in my mouth than listen to the grateful dead. You know, it was like the antithesis of late nineties skateboarding and punk and stuff like that. It was, it was almost like the enemy to some people. And here I am skating that thin line, which I still do to this day between genres. I'm I'm exactly with you. I was, I'm going to let you get, finish your thought, but I like when you're talking about this, this is a lot of, yeah, you kind of have to be like, my dad even owned a bar too. So no shit. Oh, (laughs) awesome. So, you know, and to do that, you kind of have to have a little bit of, you know, I mean, there's so much peer pressure in high school. You kind of got to be a little self-aware and have a little bit of confidence to be like, no, my other friend, like the Grateful Dead rules, you don't get it. Or tell my hippie friends, like, man, if you would just listen to Minor Threat, you would get it, you know? Mm-hmm. So Ska comes out. And it's the bridge for everything because now both sides listen to reggae. Both sides of my friends listen to reggae. And what's interesting is, uh, well, you'll know this too, because my punk friends are more deep dive into music people. You know, a lot of, that was why I spent so much time at my dad's bar and hanging out even when I wasn't working because like i said before, which I'd learned at a very young age, not everyone liked music. I wouldn't say not everyone liked music as me. Not everyone was 
thrilled and infatuated with music as me and, and wanted to know more and wanted to do deep dives and deep cuts and stuff like, so I realized that, but my friends from my dad's bar were way more into music. So now I'm like, Oh, cool. You guys listen to reggae. We're listening to ska punk and I can kind of bridge that gap. And now I'm now my punk friends are like, Ooh, you got to check out like rock steady and like traditional ska. So now I'm the guy who can take back to my friends who listen to Bob Marley and toots and the Maytels like, Oh, you guys got to listen to fucking Dennis Brown, Prince Buster, Desmond Decker. You know, I'm like feeding them that, you know, and helping them learn about that while bringing the same. So, um, punk ska was really easily digestible for me and tons of kids in the nineties. That's how it got too big, you know, (laughs) uh, to sustain itself, you know, that really helped me kind of lean harder into the punk music that I was only mainly listening to at work into really starting to, uh, shoplift some of those CDs, you know? (laughs) So Ska's always been huge for me. And, uh, I think just that age period, you know, um, senior in high school era, moving out of my parents' house era. Um, and I think for a lot of people, um, those are just stay so close to the heart, you know, even, even the decades later. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, when I move out of my parents' house, uh, I was still a teenager. And, uh, though I did, I graduated high school early and I had some friends from my punk side of friends who, uh, also we're from such a small town. Everyone just wanted to get the fuck out, you know? And I had a lot of uh, brave friends who were like, fuck it. I saved up, you know, I I saved up $1,200 to move to San Francisco and I never went back home, you know? And, uh, that's what brought me to San Francisco. And it still took, I'd say when I lived there and I had friends that were like full on punk rockers with mohawks and shit, and we were meeting other punks and stuff like that. But I'd say for the first couple of years in San Francisco, I was still going to, a very wide variety of shows. I had not still found completely the underground. So maybe the punk shows I'm going to are, you know, still some of my favorite bands, Bouncing Souls. Um, I will say my very first punk show was Rancid when I was a senior in high school. I had seen Green Day at like the hockey arena, but right. I saw Rancid at like a thousand cap club, uh, St. Andrews Hall in Detroit, which is still there. And I've been back with bands and worked there and played there, which is very cool for me. Um, but now I'm in San Francisco. I'm seeing a lot of reggae shows. I'm fully back into hip hop and I've got a cool diverse group of roommates that are hip hop DJs, uh, hardcore band guitarists, uh, stoners who are ambivalent about all the music stuff that I'm into. And I'm just really enjoying being a kid in the city. And eventually I get to this spot called Mission Records, which was just a record store, but it had a little showroom in the back. Um, and this was the very first place I ever went to where it was like BYOB. Hmm. People are smoking pot in the record store. You're getting, you know, and it was in the mission in San Francisco. So I wasn't 21 yet, but I could buy a 40 at the liquor store across the street. 
um, you know, or have somebody else do it, you know, and we could party in there. And, you know, there was some dark things happening there. There was people into hard drugs and people have died there and stuff, but there was also this really positive thing going on. And it was really the first time that I saw DIY punk. Like I said, when I go see the bouncing souls, they're still on a big stage. These guys are rock stars to me. They played the warp tour and shit like Mm -hmm. that. I get to shows at Mission Records and all the music, it's a little bit faster. It's a little bit more aggressive. It's a lot sloppier, but I like that. And there's all this participation from the crowd. I mean, I wasn't even entirely sure if I had seen, if I had bought a t-shirt like off the singer of a band at merch, you know, like not off just like the touring merch person. So this is really opening my eyes. You know, the stage there was about 13, 14 inches off the ground. So basically, you know, no stage, like a a glorified drum riser, you know, but Mm -hmm. the band's on the floor with us anyways. And uh, that really fucking got me. I was all in. I went down such a DIY hardcore punk rabbit hole at that time. I almost completely shut off all other types of music I was listening to. I have friends that our friendship in, I mean, I, I could only realize this years later, our friendship suffered because I stopped wanting to do the, uh, like activities with my other friends who didn't want to go to underground punk shows. Mm-hmm. And I, I had never, ever thought I would be in a band. I was the kind of kid fucking playing air guitar with a fucking yardstick or a broom, singing fucking ACDC into the, my, the hairbrush in the mirror, shit like that, little kid stuff. Being a musician and a rock star was so different in my head than what was capable with DIY punk. And uh, I'm immediately meeting bands and stuff like that. And I had never before thought that I could do that. Fucking never. Even though my dad was in bands, but my dad was done. My dad was in bands when he was in high school. And, uh, you know, my dad had a, my dad's band put out records on uh hideout records, Bob Seeger's label. Oh, wow. So very cool, but I was never pushed into music. So now I'm like, fuck, I want to be in a band. I want to do this. I get a group of buddies together and we're like, fuck it. We're going to start a band. We had one guy who knew how to play guitar and drums. And we figured, okay, he can teach you how to play bass and teach me how to play drums. And the reason I ended up being the drummer was because I was the one in the band that could afford a drum kit. (laughs) And I bought a very inexpensive drum kit, Mm -hmm. but we already had everything else. We had a guitar and a bass and a couple practice amps. And so I ended up drumming in bands and I've played on like three continents toward the world. I was chosen for that instrument because I was the one who had $350 the day we decided we wanted to start a hardcore band. And once that started, it was done, man. I wanted to do all the stuff. I want to do everything. And this entrepreneurial bug that I had living inside me started to surface. I end up buying a one inch button maker. Mm-hmm. wanted to make buttons for my bands. We didn't really have access to that. I mean, we would all go in and we would, we would mail order patches and buttons from, uh, 
I think this place is in Pennsylvania. Angry, young, and poor. It's still around. That's right. It's in this. It's in this town. Oh no, shit! That's in your (laughs) town. So it's like. Actually, you know what's unfortunate is they're closing their brick and mortar store. Like either they either they just did or did you know? uh, But yeah, they're it's it's still here. It's but we would like pass around their mail order catalog and order Mm -hmm. just buttons and make like a forty five dollar order of one inch buttons and patches. So I look into it and then I end up buying this, a one inch button maker pretty much to just like make, make buttons for my bands and the, and the couple other friends bands I've made. And I didn't realize at a time, um, what an advantage that little fucking button maker would give me, um, to get deeper into the world that I wanted to be a part of. So what I started doing was other local bands or bands on tour I would just make them like 25 buttons. Mm -hmm. And then I would go to a show and I'd be like, Hey, what's up, dude? This is how I met like a couple of my best friends this way. Hey, I'm Scotty. I got this one inch button machine. Here's a little, you know, Ziploc baggie full of buttons for you guys. I'm a fan of your band. And, uh, you know, if you want more, I can, I can make some, but this isn't, that's not why I did this. I just wanted, you know, to let you know I was a fan and kind of gave me a reason to say hi and stuff like that. And I just started meeting fucking everybody started setting up a little, I, then I'd started doing like tons of bootleg buttons too. You know, I had mm-hmm. a couple hundred designs and I just had this big piece of fabric pin 150 buttons onto it and roll it up, take it to shows and set up next to next to the bands doing merch. I'm a quite outgoing person and also friendly, you know? So, um, I just start meeting everybody and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, um, I'm just 100% immersed. Gilman Street would have a weekend where on Friday night, you know, all our bands are doing that. And then Saturday night is the, the cleaner version of hardcore, the, you, you know, what spawned from youth crew and, and mosh and stuff like that, you know? So I'm playing in this band called Deadfall. And we get an offer to put out a seven inch at, uh, I should, I should mention, um, by this time there's a venue called burnt ramen in Richmond, California, which was, um, it was a venue, uh, similar to, it was more organized than mission records. Um, but it was a venue with no rules. That was actually, it was called an unsafe place for all ages. There was no security. Uh, you had to run your own shows, run your own door bring your own beer. They provided a sound man in the room for 50 bucks a night. I met mm-hmm. one of my mentors, John, the Baker there. He was running the place. He taught me how to run shows, taught me everything I needed to learn. Uh, the first thing that was a huge surprise to me is that the first thing you have to learn is to show up on time, even though no one else does for a long time later. And so burnt ramen had become a really, uh, kind of tight knit community. You know, I'd say there was probably about a hundred people going there consistently whenever every weekend or whenever there was shows going on and I'm meeting lots of people and doing all this stuff. And this guy named Bob Scammon, he uh, comes up to us and he wants to put out our seven inch and we're thrilled. Uh, we're super green. We don't know anything. Uh, we're not even probably good enough at our instruments at the time. Certainly I wasn't, um, to be putting out a record, but it didn't really matter at that time. It was, you know, I, I'm still very much a, a music fan. That's, um, more about how it makes me feel. That's why I like live music so much, way more about how it makes me feel and even think than 
And I like music that sounds like shit too, you know, so it's not always so much about how, what, how it comes into my ears. And Bob, uh, says he wants to put out our seven inch. So we record, we recorded right there at burnt ramen. They had like a little recording studio in the back. And, uh, we, we give the recording to Bob, who's going to put out this record on his, he, he did not have an established record label. He wanted to start a record label. It was called controlled by plague. During the time in between when we record and it comes out, uh, I get an offer from another local band uh, called Votesec to play drums for them. And they are leaving on tour in two weeks from the day I get the call, maybe three weeks. Maybe I shortened it to make the story more uh, <laughs> exciting. I don't know. I, I guess it doesn't matter. The Less need than more a urgent. Month. Yeah. The urgency was there, right? Less than a month. Like I said, I never felt like I was a musician. When I learned how to play drums, one of my best friends still to this day and the, the designer at Tank Crime said, can you count to four? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, how do I play fast? And he was like, can you count to two? And I was like, I can do that. So now I get invited to be this in this band. Um, and they're, everyone in the band is, is older than me. And uh, it's women in the band who are older than me. Uh, but Athena from six weeks records is the bass player of the band and the tour they have booked is with this band that she just put out their split with Pennsylvania zone crucial unit. Mm. The bands from Richmond, Virginia, the band is municipal waste. Mm. She gives me the record and I think, look, if I can't get along with these old ladies, which is funny now because they're so, they were so much younger at the time than I am now. But yeah. they they were certainly in a in a older punk generation than me, or punk right. or two even, because I think a punk generation is about four years. So I joined this band thing, and oh, if I don't get along with my bandmates, these municipal waste guys seem pretty fucking cool. Like they want to party, they want to do whatever, and I really want to take this experience. And so I went for it. So now in a really short time, I've recorded a record with one band, joined another, and I'm out on a full DIY US tour. And I got to meet all kind of, it's funny to say the movers and shakers of who books a VFW hall or a basement, but it's mm -hmm. the truth. I did. And because Athena and uh, Amy, my bandmates had so much, they had already been in bands in the nineties and gone on tons of DIY tours. They had all these great connections. You know, they had actually booked the tour for municipal waste. You didn't have all these connections either. So I'm like meeting, you know, Ken from uh, sound pollution records, Felix havoc, who became one of my mentors, um, all the local bands that were the ones running shit and booking the shows in their towns and putting out records and doing stuff like that. And I get home from that first tour and I'm like, I have made the correct life decisions. Like everything I upended to do this and I'm young, so it wasn't much were the right decisions. I fucking love this so much. It's absolutely what I want to do. And I get home and now the deadfall seven inches here. And Bob, uh, fucking bless Bob. This is what, you know, I guess a mensch would just be the best description of this generous and amazing person. We think we have a record label, right? Like a record label that's going to like distribute the record, get it in stores, yeah. get us a review and maximum rock and roll, 
um, you know, we don't really know. We didn't really discuss like the record deal with Bob. We just recorded and handed it off. Mm-hmm. Bob comes by with a thousand seven inch, actually it was 1107 inches, drops them off at our house and goes, here's your record. That was every copy. He kept one for himself. <laughs> so me kind of already being the, I've always, I was like the band dad guy, you know, and because I had made all these connections through the buttons and now having had gone on, on my own tour, um, it was very natural for me to be the one that was like, all right, well, I knew my bandmates weren't going to figure out how to get our record into stores or get us a review at maximum rock and roll or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, so I just took that role on and, uh, Athena, my bandmate, she ran six weeks records with her husband at the time, Jeff from capitalist casualties. And, uh, he was one of my early mentors. And I just said, Hey, Jeff, what, what do I fucking do? Like, how do I do this? And he was so fucking cool. He gave me a list of people I could hit up to trade records, Mm -hmm. uh, to get it distributed and places I could send records for review to get it out there and stuff like that. And I just fucking dug into it and I was trading records. And like I said, I'd met other label people on my first tour and all of a sudden it was just fucking off to the races. I had a record label and I ran Bob's record label controlled by plague for three releases. I then did two other local bands case of emergency And my third release was a band called Funeral Shock. And this takes, oh, actually I did four for under the Controlled by Plague banner. This was all, I thought I'd keep it going. Like I kept the name as like a tribute to Bob and his generosity. So uh, my third and fourth releases are going to open up a lot. That'll explain what I'm, where I'm at now. My third release, Funeral Shock, was uh, Dan from Spaz, Jason from Agents of Satan and Jeff from Capitalist Casualties. You know, I'm like, wow, I've got dudes from Spaz and Capitalist Casualties on my label. And it was really empowering because it was like, oh, they're not just on my label, but they have to actually trust me with their music to do this. And Jeff owns six weeks records. He can do this himself. But they, so that was really empowering to me to start working with people who had much more experience than I did. And my fourth record uh, had, uh, mouse, one of my closest friends to this day from dystopia on guitar. And so, uh, you know, spaz and dystopia are two of the biggest bands on tank crimes. Uh, those reissues can keep the lights on some months. And, uh, I've been working with those guys since the very first release, since before the label was even called tank crimes. And, uh, on my fourth release, I kind of realized that, uh, controlled by plagues, not mine. It needs to be mine. And I changed the name to Tank Crimes and just keep going from there. Well, I was trying to think earlier when when Tank Crimes first comes on my radar, when I first start realizing what you're doing. And I couldn't think of what release it was, but I can remember like a handful of them. And it was it was like the King Generator. And uh, there was a Funeral Shocks seven inch. Uh, it was I remember it was one song on each. Actually, I had it on my jukebox recently. Yeah, yeah, that there. was one of that was one of the first like forty five style records I did. You know, fucked yeah. up kind of brought that back. I think or brought that into hardcore. The because yeah, yeah, yeah. I was doing I was doing ten song seven inches. You know, right. I was doing t- <laughs> twelve song seven inches. Yeah, but so yeah, no. I'm guessing that's around 
2008. 2008? When I came onto your radar. That sounds like around King Generator because that was Dave Witte. Um, Mike Hill from Tombs was in King Generator. Uh, mm-hmm. Jamie from the Scottish power violence band Shank that was on Slapaham. Uh, he was in that band. Yeah, cool. Okay. So I, I don't yeah, remember. I, I don't remember how. I feel, but like that would have been, so that would have been like right when I moved to Baltimore from Pennsylvania. I was down, okay. I was down then in Baltimore for a long time. And, uh, anyway, there was, there was ANS, a pressure cracks record. There was just a, a few things that started. There was, you did that, uh, that uh, gangrene tribute five inch, seven inch or five inch, seven oh, inch, five yeah, inch that, yeah. I, that I have the, around the, here. Well, that's kind of when I, I started. So when I started, I was doing all local bands. Um, and I didn't know how long I was going to do just local, but I liked, I liked having all local bands and even, um, a piece of advice that I give, um, to people who want to start labels. Um, when you're getting started, it's advantageous to either document a, a locale, a scene, just a specific location or a very specific sound when you're coming out. So those records like AMS and stuff, that's a cool era for the band, for the label, because that's when I'm kind of graduating to doing albums. And I want. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. On a work with bands that want to grow, um, a word that maybe is, I don't know if it's dirty and punk, but it doesn't get used a lot. And in the music industry and whole isn't done a lot at all anymore, which is artist development. Hmm. I wanted to help bands like go on tour. I wanted to help bands know how to do a better stage show. Like, you know, like real simple stuff that people in bands kind of know, but somebody has to tell you the first time you don't set up your drums on stage you should practice the set list so you don't have to stop in between every song. You should, you know, just little stuff like that, that helps you learn how to be a band. And then that goes into, you know, how, how, how you should do your recordings and stuff like that. And that was a cool era when I was kind of moving into that, you know, and I was touring. So talked about how my first tour was with municipal waste. Um, you know, Municipal Waste, my friendship with them has has carried this label at some times, you know, and I still tour with them and I've been able to bring out 10 Crimes bands on tour with them and do stuff like that. And even maybe just a co-sign from Municipal Waste has gotten bands like ANS on people's radars at the time, you right. know, and uh, because I'm working with Municipal Waste on the road and at the same time, Municipal Waste is turning into a legitimate 
drawing metal band. Mm -hmm. So we're playing clubs. My very first metal tour, it was Guar and Minas Pois. Actually, the Red Chord was the third band. They were the main support band. Minas Pois was opening up. And so that my very first metal tour was nine and a half weeks. And we're chasing the, we're chasing their, they're in a bus and a semi and we're chasing that shit in our fucking van without a trailer. We had holes in the bottom of the van. And if you followed municipal waste for long enough, this will crack you up. We had the boogie boards on the floor of the van. So we're, this is like in the fall, winter and uh, we're going up in Canada and stuff. So we've got the boogie boards on the floor of the van to keep the water from splashing up into it. Shit like that, you know, because yeah. that was municipal waste era. We're bringing beer bongs and shit to every show. We're bringing the boogie boards. We're really like, you know, that's how they kind of made a name for themselves or, and stood out early on. Mm-hmm. I'll admit, I thought professional band shit was kind of corny as a, as a young punk. And right away on that first tour, I was like, this isn't corny. These guys work way harder than I've ever seen a band do on the DIY circuit. This is like, this is wild. And these guys work their asses off. And I started getting this new respect for that and still touring with municipal voices. They're getting bigger and bigger. So that's on hazardous mutation. Then they put out art of partying and they're just a, a, a phenomenon, you know? Yeah. There was years when everyone just had that cap flipped up, wasted everywhere we fucking went. Uh, It was so cool. And I'm, so I'm just learning the ropes and I'm learning them with the waste guys. You know, Dave Witte had some more experience, but not really like this either, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, so we're just learning and growing. And so that's, that's why I started getting into what I was saying about artist development. I really wanted to help bands kind of level up you know, and I, and I thought I had the wherewithal to help them. Sometimes it worked and sometimes it doesn't, but that that's part of running a record label. Some bands just punk is fleeting mm-hmm. in in its core and its essence. So some bands just disappear and they're gone, you know, and some of those early records I put out mean a lot to the people that were there at the time goes back to the feeling thing. I was talking about the music. Some of those records mean a lot to the people that were there and honestly may never, ever, ever get rediscovered at all. So one of these days I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a a real effort to be like, Oh, this was tank crimes. Number seven. Mm -hmm. You have, it hasn't been available for me for 20 years, but there's six of them on discogs right now for two fifty. If someone wants to go buy them, link in bio, fucking get these records, you know, that's, that's a good idea. Cause you might have people like me who's a lot of times will look at record labels and be like, I need to own every, cause I've had my obsession with music. Like you mentioned before, like I need to own everything that's been on that record label, whether it's. Yeah. So, not, I mean, it's know. really, um, and those records, if, if the, the fast core scene or the Y2K thrash scene comes back, the 625 thrash core, we joke when municipal waste and happened and toxic Holocaust and then kind of the retro thrash boom happened, you know, they kind of always say they kind of like propelled it from the basements back to the big stage. Mm-hmm. And now you've got all these copycat cookie cutter bands who want to sound like that and stuff. Thrash, when I got into underground hardcore thrash meant six two five thrash it meant what right. happens next it meant yeah. and then thrash metal was fucking dead you know yeah. exodus wasn't 
Exodus was probably in between singer. I don't know exactly what bands were doing, <laughs> but you know what I'm like a lot in the of the Rob Duke's bands, era. Yeah, they were in Rob Duke's era. So, but a lot of those bands, whether they realize it or not, I saw it from the ground up. Um, you know, bands like Municipal Waste and then that big influx of bands who wanted to be like Municipal Waste, that opened up for a lot of the old school thrash bands to get back to work. Hmm. Start putting out albums where they could say, oh, it, it sounds like our old stuff, you know, and and getting back on the road. And there was that whole boom. But yeah, then thrash was changing what it was, what it meant to the general public, you know, or not the general public at all. The people I was around in underground hardcore shows. So a very small percentage of the public. But so now, now thrash is back. I also, uh, another big band along the way that really helped me out was fucked up. Mm -hmm. And now I've done like five or six records with fucked up, but I met them in a similar fashion. I wrote a gourd from deranged records an email and just said, I'd like to invite, fucked it up out to the West coast for some shows. I think they had three, three, seven inches out at the time. And like we briefly discussed, they were bringing back the, the 45, the single, you know, the big hold single. I, yeah, I remember being determined at one point to try and to try and get them all when they were rolling them all out. And then they, I gave up. <laughs> yeah. Well, they just did something really cool, which I can't wait to get one is they just made a poster with the center labels from every seven inch, mm. like a collect them all poster. Really fucking cool. They just did that like last week, but I invited them out and that was the first tour that I booked that I booked a whole tour for them. It was the first time I've ever invited a band out and stuff like that. You know, sometimes kids ask me like, how do you get started? How do you do that stuff? I don't know. I picked my favorite band and I emailed them and said, would you like me to book you 10 shows on the West coast? My less popular band can backline you and book it. And do that kind of stuff, you know? So Deadfall and Votesec never got that, never got that big, but we sold a lot of records. We did a lot of records and we sold out of all our records at the time, not because we were that popular, but because we were out playing shows and doing stuff and being involved in the scene. You know, going back to that very first Deadfall record, I I distributed that whole record in a year by mostly trading other small labels and distros, like usually six copies at a time, not even 10 six Mm. copies at a time to do that, you know, and even on tour, like the box distro next to our t-shirts. Oh shit. You, you want six of these, you know, I'll fucking do it at the time. Also I was wholesaling seven inches for $2 Mm. and retailing them for three. So it was kind of like monkey business as far as not not a big margin. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they cost a dollar 50 to make like, So once I get into doing albums and stuff that kind of changed the label and I'm starting to lean into more metal stuff because I'm, I'm starting to understand that world and getting it. That was around that time. Uh, I decided that even months when I was like, didn't have enough food to eat, I would always make sure to be doing ads in maximum rock and roll. And that was when then I even stepped it up and started doing ads in decibel magazine, which was really expensive for me at the time, but I really wanted to establish tank crimes as a real deal fucking label, you know? And I, I tell people when they ask me about doing ads, you see this sometimes if you read decibel magazine, one band will self-release something or a small label and they'll fucking blow their load and do a full page ad Mm. with fucking all their links and shit like that. And then they'll often walk away feeling like they wasted that money because they did. 
it doesn't fucking do anything for you to have a full page ad in a full glossy metal magazine if fucking no one knows who you are. Right. So what I stress is that advertising, and now I do a ton, I fucking spend, I don't even want to talk about how much money I spend at Meta on Facebook and Instagram ads, which fucking work great. But the the point I'm getting at is that when you get into marketing like that with paid advertising, you have to stay consistent. Everyone has to see something a million fucking times before they know what it is. You can't do two ads in a, something like Decibel and expect to get results. You've got to budget yourself to do every fucking time. Every fucking time. And like I said, there were times when, because I always like to, you know, part of, part of doing a label and a band too, and a lot of other stuff is just kind of, you know, puffing your feathers, making people think you're a bigger deal than you are. I would sometimes go to a show on a night when I was fucking tired, didn't want to go out. I was broke, but I had to pay for my ad. So I had to go fucking hustle. I had to go hustle all the fucking time. Just be out there. And some nights it would be so defeating. Like, fuck. I fucking did this. Like, I'm going home with 30 bucks. You know, this wasn't worth it. But it's kind of that same consistency with the ads. Motherfuckers knew I was going to be at a show. You know, on a good night, it was because people were like, oh, sweet, Scotty, I thought you would be here. I brought money mm -hmm. for records. You know? And so it was always about that consistency and, and showing up and, and being there and, and showing up. And then as we moved into a digital world, showing up on MySpace, showing up on Facebook, showing up on Instagram, um, reminding people that you exist all the time, whether it's in the flesh or on their phones. That's one of the biggest parts of my job. And it helps my band sell records. Just reminding people all the fucking time that I'm here. And what well, I do, do is a, I sell you records. You do a great job of that. And you do a great job of, of being like the, uh, the visible head and face of your label. You know what I mean? Like not a lot of labels do that. There's, there are a few and a lot of people are getting smarter to it. Um, they're really doing what you do where you make the little videos. Um, I see, I see Daniel doing it for riding easy. I see other people do it. You know, I see a few people mm -hmm. doing the same, same style thing and doing it consistently, like you said. And that really does seem to resonate and carry weight. It opens things up and there's never been a time to be like more real with people, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's what it, it comes down to because like people aren't dumb. Like if you want to try to do something like that and you're not going to be your authentic self, you know, and this is another reason why this hasn't come up yet. I, I know I said I was working with all local bands when I started. Now that's not the case, but I don't accept demos and I only work with people that I, that I know and have done like that. I've like spent time with, but everybody that's been on the label I've, I've at least spent time with uh, on the road. They've been to my house, uh, you know, stuff like that because not every record makes money and not every record even breaks even it's then other, other records have to make up for it. And so working with a stranger and then not even not having a monetary reward, that's rough, but working <laughs> with your friend and helping them get somewhere and helping them do something, um, I stopped playing in bands 10 years ago, at least. Like I said, I never, I'm so lucky 
the style of music I got into my, my skill set behind the drums allowed me to go so many places and do it, but I'm not a musician. And when I, when I, when my bands wound down, I realized that I wanted to play towards my strengths and my strengths were in marketing. My strengths were in promotion. My strengths were in networking. My strengths were way more in the things you needed to run a label than they were in the things that you needed to be in a successful band. So that was kind of the pull, the full pivot, you know? Um, but I, it's always gotta be people I know. Um, also cause there's like shitty people out there and I always feel bad for a record label when some asshole in some band does something and the band can't play anymore because somebody was that horrible. And you know, you, you got a fucking closet full of records back at your house and, and it's not your fault because you just didn't know, you know? And well, um, before we go way too long and other stuff, we got to get in what, what's happening now, what's coming up, what, what's going on with tank crimes in the very near future. In the, okay. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Let's jump way ahead. Yeah. So tell me today. what is, yeah. Today as it is today, of course. Oh yes. <laughs> what is happening with tank crimes right now? Yesterday we announced the first brain squeeze tour which is a label showcase tour, but also a headliner for Municipal Waste, my closest friends and the largest band affiliated with the label. And Municipal Waste is taking out Ghoul, Necrot, and Dead Heat. And we're going East Coast to West Coast, couple Canada shows. It's like 24 shows. We're not going to every city. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure by the time this is publishing, I've got people in my Instagram comments reminding me where we're not going, <laughs> which I know where we're not going. And there's some key, there's some key cities. We're not stopping Chicago, Austin, Portland, places that are big. So, uh, what I'll say to that is if this tour does really, really well, which I'm confident it's going to, and the demand is there, um, you know, maybe we can keep it going. Maybe we can, maybe there'll be demand and maybe we can take it to the other cities and stuff like that. But I'm getting way ahead of myself. And what I want to say is if you're a fucking fan of what I do and you're a fan of municipal waste, ghoul, necrot, dead heat, um, it's a pretty good diverse lineup sonically. Mm -hmm. We've got, yeah. you know, dead heats, a crossover band with a lot of hardcore in it. Um, a really, you know, popular style right now. Um, Necrot doing probably the other most popular style right now, death metal, uh, ghoul and municipal waste being thrash bands, like at the top of their game. Uh, ghoul of course does all, you know, they're cr cannibals from Creepsylvania and they're going to have to fight some fucking giant monkeys and robots and fucking other weird stuff. I know they're, they're making an entire new set for the thing. You know, somebody might just might get their head sliced off and you might get a little blood on you up in the front row. So I'm just really excited to get out there on the road and I'm going on the tour with no actual job. Um, mm. for years, I, for years I did merch for municipal waste and then I graduated or graduated. I, I, I just didn't want to be stuck behind the merch, even though that's kind of who makes the most money. I wasn't getting a lot of hang time in merch is the hardest fucking job. When you do merch for a band at the level of municipal waste, man, you are working load in to load out. So what's really important to me uh, right now, and this is kind of cool. Um, 
because bands don't always say stuff like this and I understand why they don't. And so I guess I'm kind of the mascot of this tour. So I can kind of say some of the things that a band's not going to come out and say to you. And also I think it's appropriate because if you follow me on social media, you know, I like to kind of draw the curtain sometimes and let people know what's going on behind the scenes if you're interested. But specifically for this tour, which is so fucking important to me, if you think you might be interested in going to this show, fucking pre-order your ticket. Pre-ordering tickets for, for package tours, it, it's, a, it's one of the best ways to support the bands you love because um, it just makes everything smoother. Sometimes you can get some payment up front for the bands, can help some costs. Um, they, it can help the bands plan for how much merch to bring on the tour, which is important. Um, and it's just, uh, there's nothing like that flex of having some sold out dates before you leave. And it, it helps, you know, of course, everyone's morale's high when you know ticket sales are doing good. So I want everyone listening to go buy a ticket to my show. But at the same time, I, I think it's a cool advice to fans and a band member's not always going to say it because maybe they don't want to sound like they're begging you to come out or whatever, you know, <laughs> um, which I get. It may, if I was a band member, I might be too cool to, to tell you to pre-order. I might be like, hey, show up if you want, whatever. We're throwing the best show in town. So this tour, I will be, I don't have a job, I, but I got a bunk on the bus. Hmm. So I'll be going out and I just, I kind of want to be out there hanging out with people at the merch, you know, talking to fans, meeting old friends, meeting new friends, kind of as a label guy on a, on a label showcase tour, you know, I really want, um, the bands, you know, it's easy to hide out backstage, uh, especially on a long tour, but I think having me there, I can kind of like get the guys out there shaking hands and kissing babies. And we haven't, um, we haven't completely come out with this stuff, but I've, I've done a lot of hinting on social media. Um, both Ghoul and Necrot have new records coming. It's going to yeah. be a really big year for Tank Crimes next year. We've got a new Ghoul EP, which we'll have on the tour. It's in production now. I don't know when we're going to officially announce it, but Ghoul definitely like posted some pics in the studio and stuff like that, you know, so mm -hmm. pe people know it's coming. And I'll say right now, we will have that new five song, 12 inch EP on the tour and the music will be streaming. Um, Necrot, who has, whose record is being mastered right now. And we're going into layout stages. Um, it's fully recorded. It's a fucking masterpiece. The, the band does what they do, do. There's, there's no surprises. They haven't decided to get technical or proggy. Yeah. They play, you know, uh, death metal by punks really is, mm. is it, it, that's the kind I like, you know, that's why I'm, I'm drawn to their music and stuff, but all I can say is that we will be promoting the album on the tour, but it won't be out by then. But we will, right. you know, probably people will know a lot. People will be able to come to the shows, uh, probably hear a new song that'll probably be streaming and uh, get to talk to the band about about what's coming up and stuff like that. We'll, I'll be heavily promoting it on the tour and that'll probably come out in later in the spring and they'll go back out on a headlining tour right away and then right to Europe after that. Necrod already has... 100 shows booked for 2024 off the new album. Wow. So they're going to be doing a lot. They need to reclaim their throne, man, because uh, they had some setbacks and maybe we'll get one of those guys back on, back on this podcast. But uh, you know, they're going to be doing a lot of interviews and they can open up about this. But uh, after, you know, we decided to put out their last album mortal during the pandemic mm -hmm. and it was the smartest fucking thing we could have done. 
it because, went over great, didn't it? It was Oh, it went over great. You know, yeah. we considered shelving it. It went over fucking great. And uh, it was because we had, there was so much space, mm. no ba- no tour announcements, all blogs in, in press is still trying to run, but there's zero tour announcements. So there's zero, so the interviews are down because bands usually do those around tours mm-hmm. and all the big bands have shelved their albums. So it was just fucking wide open for us to go all in. We made this giant fucking plan and in my eyes, we fucking executed it absolutely perfect. And that is the best selling record on the label by far. Wow. And by like a couple thousand copies more than the number two. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's way up there. We absolutely killed it. And uh, a string of things, string of unfortunate incidences happen that I think the band might get into when they're doing the interview cycle for the album. but. Um, they still, after the world opened back up, Necrot was not able to join us getting back on the road and then had to even cancel more dates once we thought it was all coming back together. So I will tell you this. They recorded a fucking masterpiece and they're fucking coming for heads. They know what it's like to be at the top. Yeah. You know, top ish, you know, <laughs> up with, up with the heavy hitters of the contemporary genre, you know. They're, they're coming back for that for, for sure. And they're going to be playing fucking everywhere. All the stuff we originally wanted to do with mortal and had to pivot to our, to our secondary plan, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, what I want to say now is if people haven't caught on to this, what I am doing right now is a self-addressed stamped envelope campaign for the Necrot record. I just mailed mine over the weekend. Oh, sick. Okay. So I'll just mention it here real briefly. Uh, if you're listening and you want more information, just come check my social media or you can even send me a message or something, but the information's out there and I'll be, we'll be promoting this until the end of the month. The deadline's actually December 1st. I'll just say it on the air. My PO box is 3495 Oakland, California, 94609. If you don't know what a SACE or a SASE is, self-addressed stamped envelope, I made a little tutorial on my Instagram and it is the most popular video I've ever posted it's on a great social video. media it's in a great the video. entire time I've been doing this. So a lot of people are curious about what this is. It's a throwback. A self-addressed stamped envelope is how I used to get record label catalogs as a kid and mostly skateboard stickers was the yep. age I was when it was really going on. Every, every ad and thrasher said at the bottom, send, send a self-addressed stamped envelopes for catalog and stickers. And that's exactly what they'd send you. So, and it's going to be great, uh, to take dead heat out with us. I met dead heat because they were actually on Tony from municipal waste radar. And since I'm mentioning Tony, I have to, I just want to say thank you so much, Tony, one of my best friends. Um, he's the one who actually put the tour together. I didn't, he put it together and handed it to me and said, want to do a brain squeeze tour. And I was like, oh man, it's a fucking dream come true. And I guess real quick, I should say the tank crimes brain squeeze is what I've called my festivals. Um, first one was in 2010. Second one was, I don't know, split the difference between here and now. And the third one was booked for September, 2020. And we never even got to announce it. And I just never got it back together. But so having Dead Heat on this Brain Squeeze tour is awesome because, you know, we just put out this killer EP. I really think they need to get in front of a metal crowd, not just a hardcore crowd, because mm-hmm. they're a fucking metal band. 
Yeah. You know, with hardcore kids in it, but their, their sound is straight metal. And, uh, we met dead heat because they were on Tony's radar. We've actually brought them out on tour before. This will be their second opening slot on a municipal waste tour. I wish there would have been room to bring them up the, the thing, but there's just not, they got the fucking <laughs> necrop playing ahead of them. So it's a great slot anyways for everybody. But that tour we did was with crowbar and municipal waste and dead heat was the opener. And that was our first tour back after COVID. So this was still like fall 2021. And it was still way too COVID-y to have like a legit tour municipal way size shows thing, you know? So I'm happy to have them come back. Not only because now they've joined the label because we became friends on that tour. I really like the kids in the band and we had just always stayed in touch. Um, and uh, I can't wait for them to this time come back and play in front of huge crowds because we just had a little tester show last weekend. Municipal and Ghoul played a one-off together in a, in a total small, excuse me for saying this market, but I am a show promoter. They played a very small market. I don't even know what letter it would be, but it ain't B either. <laughs> you know, it's and, a tertiary uh, market, right? Yeah. Uh, Asheville, North Carolina, right? Okay. Yeah. So inc- incredible city. But not not everyone stops there on tour. No no scene that I know of. There's a the great hardcore world. punk band from Asheville, North Carolina called Just Die. Just Love Die, them. huh? All yeah. right. When I re when I re listen to this, I'll I'll jot that down real quick and check them out. <laughs> but uh, we just did kind of a. It ended up being a warm up show on accident because it was a municipal headliner with Ghoul main support. We fucking sold out that thousand cap room. It was fucking nuts. Crowd going totally nuts the whole time. Everyone into it everyone doing great. And it was a really just feel good moment. Like I'm, I'm confident the shows are going to go really good, but just like seeing that I'm like, Oh, these shows are just going to pop off like right from dead heat all night long. And everyone's just going to fucking shred. And uh, everyone's well, dead heat doesn't know the rest of the guys besides me and municipal waste, but they'll meet ghoul and necrot soon enough. And, uh, there'll be a good little friendly competition like most tours, but this one actually everyone's friends. So it really will be a, a friendly competition without saying that in like a backhanded way, like, no, we actually are gunning for your spot, you know? Right. You know, they would, you know, Ghoul and Necrot are the two biggest contemporary bands on tank crimes. And, uh, you know, I think for a minute during mortal that, uh, that Necrot had edged them out in, in, Mm -hmm. you know, I said they, they, they have the most popular, the most selling record on the label, but ghouls we've done, six albums from ghoul and they've been a band much longer. They have a much bigger established fan base, you know? Hmm. So nothing would make me happier than all my bands just knocking each other out of the number one spot as they all grow and get bigger and get bigger and get bigger and fight, keep fighting for that spot, you know? And, and I really want to see dead, uh, dead heat win over all these municipal waste fans because they definitely have the riffs for it. Uh, You know, crowd for them. Yeah. And if having fucking triple, if having dead heat on this tour can bring out some kids from that scene, from the post pandemic hardcore boom. And then a lot of those kids might be older now, uh, but we're like fans of municipal waste. Like, Oh, I loved municipal waste in high school, you know, but now I, now I'm in my mid late twenties and only listen to triple B stuff. You know, maybe they come out to throwback band. If you haven't seen ghoul, they're fucking awesome. So um, I do like that. I, I didn't think teaming up with triple B would bring a lot of 
new people to tank crimes, but I do think that having dead heat on tank crimes and on the tour uh, might get some new kids that haven't checked out tank crimes out to those shows early and there to have a great time, you know? So, so that's really cool too. Um, Sonically, they absolutely fit with waste and ghoul playing thrash metal, but vibe wise, which is cool. They bring a different vibe you know, which is cool. And just a, just a younger vibe. You know, I haven't worked with a band in their twenties since I was in my thirties and I'm in my mid forties, <laughs> you know, just cause I've been working with the same people. One thing that I'm really proud of with tank crimes. And I think it's a great compliment that my bands give to me without having to say anything is most every band on tank crimes do every record with tank crimes. Uh, there's not a lot of turnover over here. Uh, we actually have the opposite of turnover where I'll get a band and then they'll either their old record label either goes out of business or they get their rights back because it's been enough time and they start bringing their old records over to tank crimes. Mm. If there was one thing that, uh, I, I always silently flex on maybe when I'm feeling uneasy about stuff about how the label's going when, when you don't always hit those marks. I'm like, well, man, all these fucking people who I think are like some of the greatest musicians in the scene and certainly some of the nicest people in the scene, just trust this brand. And the brand is just me. So that's, that's really cool. And, and, uh, and this tour is, uh, just, it brings it all together for the very first time. And I'm just so fucking excited to get out. And, uh, my last plug will be, we got two new reissues out right now in stores, December 8th. One is the first album from toxic Holocaust. And one is the first album from a Ludicro, which is a Bay area black metal band, which I think we're a little lesser known on the uh, wider metal scene because they were always on punk labels. They were on life is abuse, which is dystopia's label. And then they moved to alternative tentacles, Jello Biafra's label. Um, so they never really had a big metal push, even though they're a fucking straight black metal sure. band. It's bru- <laughs> you know, it's brutal and sick. It's yeah. some, some of the heaviest shit on tank crimes for sure. Well, great. That comes out December, right? Officially. Uh, yeah. December, uh, pre-orders are up now and, uh, the vinyl has all arrived. So because they're reissues, I'll be, we'll be shipping pre-orders early. So people already own this record. All the, all the music's been streaming the whole time. Mm-hmm. It never came down or anything like that. So. So it feels like it's out to me because I've got I've got the boxes here, you know.
there you have it. That was my conversation with the great Scotty Heath of Tank Crimes Records. The song you just heard was from Dead Heat. It's off of their Endless Torment EP, the split release with Triple B Records. The song was Smite Thee. If you want to go back and hear more Dead Heat, you can listen to my conversation with Chris Ramos. I forget which episode it was, but it was pretty recent on Getting It Out Podcast. I want to thank Scotty for his time, for his conversation, for his friendship, for his explanation for his deep dive into the history of Tank Crimes Records and filling us all in on what's going on in the future. As we mentioned, that Brain Squeeze tour has been announced now. It is out there everywhere. Please go buy your tickets. Starts out in D.C., then goes to Philadelphia. Then I stop paying attention because that's the closest one to me. So you go figure out the routing. When's it coming to your town? When's it coming near you? When can you jump on some people's heads, have a beer, or just relax and be straight edge and... Uh, that straight is whatever. I don't know why you're not drinking a beer. It's okay if you're not drinking a beer either way. All right. I'm not judging you. Don't have a beer. It's all right. Ooh, I wanted to mention this in the beginning. I'll put it here at the end. So if the, the real diehards will know this. I have recently posted that uh, I'm offering free advertising on gettingitout.net till the end of the year, through the end of the year. Why? Well, I don't know. It's just got a lot of ad space. I don't use it for a lot of stuff. And I feel that I can offer it to people who might want to use it. And uh, I'll do it for free for a little while. No plans to charge you in the future. Be nice if you paid eventually. But, um, you know, whatever. I just want to keep doing what I'm doing. The biggest part of that is obviously supporting uh, bands, musicians, uh, labels. Uh, so I got I got an outreach uh, program I'm putting up there for better days ahead. It helps the homeless in Philadelphia. There's all sorts of things, whatever. If you got something to promote and you want some ad banners up on gettingitout.net, send them to me. Go to the socials. You'll find the uh, sizes or just email me at dan at gettingitout.net. And I will gladly put ads up for you on the website. Just come prepared. Don't ask me to help you out if you're not willing to exceed or match my effort. That's my only request. All right. This episode's already been longer than usual, so we should wrap it up. I want to thank all of you for sticking around this long. And I've got one more song from the Tank Crimes catalog to share with you, though I could have picked many. I allowed Scotty to pick them all. And his choice for this next one is by a band near and dear to his heart and very important for the label. It's Dystopia. And the song is My Meds Aren't Working. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.
it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 